Today's chat is brought to you by, well, all of your support. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through Podbean's crowdfunding, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a patron of the FFC, please be sure to visit our website and click on the support link. Even a single dollar helps. And for those of you who are already patrons, thank you again for your generosity. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on March 20th, 2020, over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat, as we continue our discussion over the lore book Letters from Eris. This particular episode will serve as what we have come to call the advanced session of the week's exploration. Congratulations to those who signed up for a deeper dive. Before we go any further, however, let's run through a quick introduction of who all we have with us on the show. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 and this is Green Eye Music Lover trying to remember how to snipe in, in, in anything at this moment because I'm bad at this. <laughs> Bows? Give me a bow and I'm fine, but make me snipe, which is what Trials is right now. And no, no I turn go. into, no oh my god, it's so bad. I'm not too bad at like hip firing things. Like I have a sidearm that I can hip fire like nobody's business, but I can't do sniping. I just am not a good sniper. It's just not a thing. Green, no sniping. Um, <laughs> last but definitely not least in the hot seat as guest co-host, we have a good friend, Neo Mad Dog. Neo, how are you doing? Oh, I'm peachy keen right now. Perfect. Yee. Well, since you're doing so well, you know, let's just cut the chatter and dive into the discussion. So uh, where do we want to start on this, this particular one? Well, you guys have some notes for the first one, which is always good. So we could start at the beginning. That's a dangerous, you know, that's dangerous a very good, place to start. Very, very good place to start. <laughs> if I if I could quote Julie Andrews. Uh, Neo, what do you got for us on the on the first one? So uh, the first um, page in the letters from Eris is regarding the great disaster in which. Um, Eris recounts to Mara the events of the Great Disaster and also confirming Mara's suspicion that there was a pyramid in the moon. And we knew that Mara knew about the pyramids all the way back in like Forsaken week six or so. It was one of the Queen's Court where we see a hologram of the pyramids and you can still see it there if you were to go in. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we also get a... Um, this was also foreshadowed back in Season of the Drifter with the book Stolen Intelligence. Uh, there was an unidentifiable fragment that a member of the Hidden that we believed was Fenchurch Everest, mm-hmm. um, who he discovered a fragment um, on the moon by a weird looking thrall. And after touching it against um, recommendation, he, <laughs> he had a hallucination. Uh, that featured Eris and an unknown VIP character that we've yet to know. We don't know who that is yet. And Eris says the word pathetic in Russian. Which is interesting considering the, uh, you want to go back to, was it the un- unveiling? It was it was um, Truth to Power. Truth where, to Power, that's what it is. Where fake Eris says that she, uh, during the Golden Age, she was a, um, she grew up in St. Petersburg, Russia. But um, Solon Intelligence also says that it is likely that Eris was actually born in the city. But we don't, I mean, that's two different books. Now, granted, that is things that are possibly trying to lie to us, but that's two different things. 
mentioning Eris in Russia as a possible Russian. Uh... Only Morla had a Russian accent. Hmm. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Um. So Eris also mentions the Great Disaster, which, as most people know, was a failed attempt to reclaim the moon by the Vanguard. Uh, hive after the hives dis- after the discovery of the hive on the moon by Reza Lazir, um, hive invaded Earth at Rusted Lands, which is a PvP map. Um, one a single guardian survived that encounter and recounted it. There was a battle at Burning Lake, though we don't know where that is. And then the Vanguard ordered a full invasion on the moon to stop the hive against the advice of Lord Shex, who understood that the hive cleavers have light draining properties. Um, the invasion failed, and thousands of guardians were killed by the hive, hence the name Great Disaster, um, majority of which were killed by Crota, son of Oryx, including Waning, who was the lover of Ariana 3. Yes. Blue, do you have any notes on this one? Um, trying to dive real quick. Uh, not really. I mean, it's as far as like the actual in-game, like the actual entry piece, like I kind of mentioned in the introduction, um is it's uh just basically an explanation of kind of her plans to mara of what what they're doing on the moon why it's kind of arguably quote unquote important in her mind um that was really my my takeaway on this particular this particular one um we kind of talked about the psychological compartmentalization that you saw with the conversation that we had in the previous episode uh so that that was that was my notes really nice uh, that would move us on to the second one, in so much as regarding nightmares in particular, and Eris's dive into that. Uh, Blue or Neo? Who wants to go first on this one? Neo has the has the big notes on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one's really short, uh, since this one isn't too terribly significant. It's just kind of another setup of what's to come. Uh, Eris notes that the nightmares are likely a form of psychological warfare the pyramid is using to distract guardians. At least that's her main guess. Um, some of the nightmares are enemies we've killed in the past, hence like Gaul and Tanix. Others are phantoms of friends and loved ones, particularly Eris's fire team. And that brings us to like the patrol zone. Like the pat- patrol beacons on the moon are actually specters, and then you can see them all over. Yeah, that one's a. It's a pretty straightforward one, I think. Blue. Any analysis on this one? On this one, uh, basically, this is when in game the ghosts begin to appear. Uh, so we have kind of a touch point as far as where uh, this happens in game. Uh, so this would be the appearance of Sai Moda. This is actually, I believe, the only time that we actually get a ghost called out uh, specifically. She does, I think, mention them a couple times elsewhere, but this is the the only one that really gets called out as first appearing. Um, and then, you know, again, like we kind of talked about in the intro session, this is a note to Ikora. Um, so this one is definitely more clinical, I would say, than the notes that we see tomorrow. Uh, they, the, the specters that follow Eris around are, they come in order, uh, in, in, a, in a order, um, and they are listed at the time. Like you talk to Eris and you get a prompt that says it's, it's this, it's Ariana or it's Toland or whoever. And you can tell by their silhouettes what class they are. But after that initial telling of you who this is, it, they're actually, they're unlabeled. Cool. All right. So 
sorry, Chad is arguing the merits of pathétique, which is French, versus pathetic, versus the Russian, which I am not going to even attempt to pronounce. There's a lot of Cyrillic letters in it. Yes. Uh, so regarding Eris's fire team, this one is going to be a little bit more interesting in so much as Eris is really, really diving into the trauma in this one. Neo, do you, you want to lead us off on this one? You have a pretty big breakdown of the trauma that she's going through. Uh, so now we know that, um, so at this point, uh, Eris is writing to the queen about that. She knows for a fact that these are all her fire team members and that they are, um, coming one at a time. Uh, she mentions that like, this is a terrible pain has resurfaced from a scar that I assume had healed. Um, and it's clear that she was very close with her team and is suffering from the grief of watching her friends die. I thought it might be fitting to uh, summarize who each member was, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Ariana Three was a warlock and the leader of the team. She was a member of the Praxic Order. Um, her lover, Wei Ning, was killed by Crota during the Great Disaster, which inspired her mission. Miss Punchy uh, Punchy Titan from yeah. the Shard of the Traveler mission. You get quotes from her in there. Yes, and also the Fighting Lion Tab mentions that she yes. punched the mountain so hard it shook. Also, waning wow. is the one who made the wish of this would never end in the Great Ahamkara Hunt. Insane. She's a titan through and through. I think is the easy way to put it. And also, if I remember correctly, um, I could be wrong on this. The symbol on the Ariana's bow on the like what the exotic perk is that symbol is. Uh, the Chinese characters for waiting. Oh, really? I had not looked that one up. Interesting. Like, okay. Not not on the gun, but in the menu, like what the exotic perk is. Oh, called. I gotcha. That symbol. Is, oh, the, the okay. One, on the on the the one on UI. the gun, I believe, is the castoid symbol or something. Yeah, it was either that or I want to say was it either, it was either that or the praxic. I think I can't remember. I think, well, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it was Becca the castoid. I'm pretty sure the invective shotgun had that same. Symbol oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ariana was then uh, killed by Iriut after losing her light in the stills. Uh, Iriut was the death singer in the Crota's end raid. Uh, Saimoda was a hunter. Uh, she was considered very quiet unless roused to give a speech or a toast, uh, in which she gave a toast that, like, they may not be the smartest um, or the bravest, but they sure are the dumbest fire team. Um, uh, she apparently loved to carve beads, and it was she taught Eris how to. And she was killed by Omnigal. Yeah. Good old Omnigal. Okay, so... Sai was also one of Eris's uh, confidants in some respects in the Crota Fire team. Like, Sai mm-hmm. was closer to Eris. Obviously, um, Ariana was the closest, because Ariana and Eris were the ones who helped put the team together, but Sai was also very close to her. I think... Uh... Eris and Ariana were technically also drinking buddies. There, meant, there was mentioning of... Um, that would not surprise me in the least. And, but... the, and the, I believe it was the Ariana's Vow lore tab. It is a scene of Ariana grieving waning in a bar. As, and she, Eris is with her and Ariana yells at everybody to, to someone tell a joke or a laugh or something like that. Um, anyway, so Veltarlo is the only titan of the group. 
Uh, he was a former member of the Pilgrim Guard. Uh, his mark was Chain Link, and every link in that chain was someone he had saved. Um, and there was apparently one for Eris. Um, he was surprisingly soft-spoken, given a Titan. Um, it is believed he was the original owner of the Peregrine Greaves. I'm not going to yell it. Um, <laughs> or at least inspired the creation. <laughs> Peregrine Greaves! Yeah, we need, we need um, for that. Then, uh, uh, at least... In the lore tab for Peregrine Greaves, he mentioned he jumped off a cliff. And <laughs> he did jump it. off a cliff. You would not uh, believe was... what I just did. <laughs> he wrote that to, at the time, Vanguard Commander Saint-14. <laughs> um, he was he was actually the first to die of the team um, at the Temple of Crota. He was sworn by Thrall and then killed by Alakul, the Dark Blade, who we later killed in the Sunless Cell Strike uh, and during the Taken King. Okay, a la cool. So then you get Omar. Yes, who... Omar Aga is another hunter. Uh, joined only because Eris was involved. Uh, I believe it was likely due to her actions during the great Ahamkara hunt. Um, he was killed by the heart of Crota, and his soul now resides in the machine gun, or in some form. Well, yeah. A lot of Maybe. Supposedly. Maybe. I like to think he's Ish. He's an angry, angry, very, very needs a Snickers bug inside of a machine. Gun. I think it's a rhinoceros beetle or something like that. Like he is not a happy character. Like he is all rage. I like I want to. I still hold to my one random theory about that. I don't remember. It's not. It's not him. It's basically something that's. It's equivalent of an AI that's been programmed to think it's him. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay, so then we move into everybody's favorite warlock to hate, Toland. Uh, yes, so Toland the Shattered uh, was another the second warlock. He was um, a hive-obsessed uh, individual who was exiled from the city. Uh, he was recruited by Eris and Ariana for his knowledge, but he didn't share everything he knew. He allowed all other members to die in order to get access to the Death Singer and let his soul live on in the Ascendant Plane in the Sea of Screams. He has been a glowy ball ever since, first appearing to our Guardian on Phobos during the Taken War and even helping out during the King's Fall and uh, Dreaming City Curse. And he was very upset that we left. We killed Oryx and didn't do anything beyond that. Accurate. All right, Blue, your notes on this one. Um, so I included on on the breakout <clears throat> of the various characters on the the mind map, which will be in the show notes this week. Uh, Toland's actually got some quotes about each one of these characters from the patrol uh, that we, we see in Mars. Uh, for example, for Ariana, uh, he says, though many souls were silenced at the great disaster, their memories lingered. A fire was born in the heart of Praxic Warlock Ariana three. She fought the day of our disaster, lost one of her closest friends, and retreated alongside the survivors. But her light remained, and she vowed vengeance upon Crota. Um, for uh, Sai, actually, he has a he has a really interesting one. He says, Sai descended into the, these depths with an unequaled compassion for those around her. That's the type of thing that gets you killed, if you ask me. Sai desired the respect of her fire team. She died not realizing she had it all along. Um Let's see. Omar, uh, we're pretty sure, was a hunter, and yeah, I believe the Xenophage connection. Um, Toland's quote on Omar was, <clears throat> Omar Aga entered these depths with his own unique faults, disbelief and distrust, but beneath it all was his truth, fear. 
The hive fed off this very fear. Poor Eris had to watch as his light was stripped from his soul and his essence used to strengthen the hive. And then his very, very high <clears throat> high feelings towards Vel Tarlo. Uh, Tolan says, Vel Tarlo was the first of us to fall in the dark below, assaulted by both his pride and the wizard Verok. I warned Vel of the to- dangers posed by the hive. Being headstrong, I said, was not going to keep him alive. Overwhelmed and smothered by thrall, his light was snuffed out. If only he'd listened. What a waste. And then uh, one of my favorite quotes from him actually is in regards to Eris. And Tolan says, If you'd asked me long ago what I thought of Eris Morn, you'd have learned that kindness does not flow through my veins. But I have since gained a reverence for Eris. I thought her broken, foolish, but I was the fool. Eris was the best of us all, and still is. Um, so yeah, it, and all those all those are listed <clears throat> alongside with all the other quotes from Toland on, on the Lore Network's website. But, um, you know, I... I really think that the oh and then also this is when Vel Tarlo uh appears. So there there's also that that happens in game. Um in you know this is really just as Neo has done a great job kind of pointing out uh this is when Eris kind of recalls details about her former fire team Tamara and that's that's my I don't really have anything else to add to to yeah. notes already. One of the things I find interesting is Tolan's conflicting persona. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's con- at least I feel like he's this. It's hard to put in words, but he's trying to exude this personality of being aloof and away from everything, and he doesn't care. He's only in it for the knowledge. He's only in it for himself. But he does secretly harbor these feelings for other people that he either wants desires or is re- like or maybe regretful of that he does have kind of feelings for his fight yeah and i think or- you know the other thing too is like he calls he calls out eris's like he 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 does admit that he looked down on them all um you know from the very beginning and that was kind of the the pride or hubris and you know obviously he's transformed into a, a little bouncy ball um but you know, I do think that his respect for Eris has been because, you know, he helped her survive. Well, he he showed her how to survive and she actually did what he showed her, um, which I think was where a lot of that respect I kind of take is coming from is because Eris showed her her showed her uh, tenacity and showed her willingness to do anything to survive. And that was something that I think Tolan's character from what we can see so far is is that makes him respect you is like someone who's not who's willing to walk the walk not just you know talk the talk basically he was like this is what you have to do to survive down here in the dark where there is no light and eris was pretty much okay let's do it you know it's like she didn't i don't think the sense was that she didn't really have time to to think about it you know she was just kind of in survival mode um so yeah, I, I but yeah, I do I do like I do like that as we get more and more from Toland, it does seem to add more complexity to the character who was not fun at parties. I don't think he's still fun at parties still. <laughs> I mean he Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Remember the first thing he says when you enter the dreaming like, Why are you here? Why are you here? <laughs> are you an idiot? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, Tolan, Tolan's a bundle of fun. 
Yeah. Okay, so let's see what Ares says about Omnigul. Because Ares does not have nice things to say about oh. Omnigul. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Omnigul, uh, the will of Crota, is the mother of most of Crota's spawn and a zealot for um, Crota in general. Uh, she was killed canonically twice by the Guardian in the Strike Will of Crota back in D1, and as, as she had undone her death during the Siva Crisis. Um, she's just a wizard with a very nasty voice. Uh, she is represented at she's represented as Anguish um, during the Nightmare Hunts, perhaps due to Crota's weakened state during the Dark Below campaign. Uh, she is ang- like angry and like upset that her um, master has failed. And she has to like pick up the slack, um, or it's the anguish I feel hearing her scream. The anguish you feel, you know that's Morla as well. Eris Morn is the voice of Omnigal, as well as the Hive. I'd rather listen to Eris Morn speak than Omnigal. (laughs) That's fair. That's a fair response. Absolutely fair. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so blue. It's a note. You don't have too much more than that. No, it's um, with fondness. Right, yeah. She says that she finds him, finds herself thinking of him more now that he's gone. Um, and this is where she also says, you know, I suppose I've grown closer to other guardians in the Vanguard than I realized. Uh, and then she points out that if she's if the pyramid's dragging the Omnigol into the fray, it tells me one thing: we're getting closer. And this is where she also calls out, you know, that you know, again, the mind tricks. Um, She's fighting back, but the nightmares grow stronger. Um, she's at this point still uh, oh, assuming that the worst is yet to come. Okay, so Hidden Swarm is a pretty pretty basic one. I kind of mentioned how they are from the uh, the books that we were going to do, Inquisition of the Damned. They, I'll, I mean, I'll let you go, Neo. You have kind of the things that I was going to talk about on theirs, too, with yeah. Hidden Swarm. So the Hidden Swarm uh, is basically the frontline military for the Hive on the Moon and Earth back in D1. They didn't really have power. Like, like the recognizable names that we know aren't the leaders of the Hidden Swarm. Uh, they're, the Hidden Swarm kind of have their relationship to other sects like the House of Devils has with the Kings. Where like the, ki- like the Kings are really in control and the Devils are just hanging in there. Um, so Hidden Swarm is just kind of there. Their highest leadership uh, at the time was um, the Swarm Princes that we killed. Um, they guarded the Sword of Crota, and we killed them pretty quickly. Um, but they were overseen by the Spawn of Crota, especially by Omnigal and Sardon, the Fist of Crota. Uh, their role has definitely been expanded on lately and are currently being led by Hashladun, Daughter of Crota. Um, we also learned that the swarm is resistant to the effects of the nightmares, at least as far as we know. And based off of Inquisition of the Damned, they may be trying to redefine Oryx as he had with his sisters. At least that's what they want, not other people. This is true. Blue on yours? Um, for me, the thing that I noted here was really that the <clears throat> excuse me, this is the the full out appearance of the swarm and Hashladoon. Uh, this is also when she this kind of correlates with our descent into the catacombs, which is where we basically go in and if I remember correctly, that's where we actually recover the cryptoglyph. Is that is that correct? Am I remembering that correctly? 
I do not remember. It was either right after we do the strike, or that, w- or is after we got the cryptoglyph. Okay, yeah, because I, I know the crypt, I know the catacombs was, uh, you know, she explains that the catacombs are the weak spot, um, where they do their, you know, where they do their own, um, uh, dark magic basically, um, and so she's gonna basically send an attack, which translates into go get the guardian to go down there and destroy everything, um. And then, yeah, Dino is pointing out too. This is also where we we kill um, one Bashirith. of Crota's. Ah, uh, yes, one of Crota's daughter, or Crota's daughters, uh, Bashirith, Yes, which is interestingly, uh, Green. I know you, you keep bringing up the Inquisition tie-in. Um, Bashirith is actually. Make sure I'm remembering this correctly. Um, yeah, Bashirith is actually the one that Savathun whispered uh, and convinced to kill the Coven within the apocrypha that was revealed. So Bashirath was the one that came up with the idea to backstab the ca- the coven during the chaos that Malkanth and her siblings created. Uh, and that was actually whispered to her by Savathun. So there's a, there's a connection for you. Cool. cool, cool, cool. Uh, uh, one more thing is that it is a weird thing. I believe Eris notes it that it's awfully strange that the Hidden Sword would build such a massive tower sticking out of the, the lunar surface when usually they uh, they carve out a planet or a moon and build their structures underneath. Mm, yeah, surface. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As if it, they're almost like they're trying to get attention. Yeah, they're definitely trying to get somebody's attention. Okay, so regarding the nightmares, uh, the nightmares at that point in time appear in the lost sectors and it's just an update to Ikora Ray, which is basically what you guys put on there. Uh, Fogoth. You guys want to talk about Fogoth? Um, not only the recre- creation of Fogoth, but kind oh, of things about him. He got his name him. back. He did get his name back. I'm so, I'm so happy. <laughs> Poor Fogoth. It was so sad when they took his name away. Was was, wasn't that for the, the the abomination heist or whatever? Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Well, no, because well, then even even the regular strike they didn't have it as Fokoth. It was just oh. an abomination. Abomin- I can't remember what it was, but it was like I went down one time and I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> oh. Yeah, poor Fogoth. Uh, yeah, just really, doesn't actually. get any respect. Um, mm. Yeah, Fogoth was uh, kind of. The the opening of the door, I guess, for a lot of us and seeing exactly what the Hive did to themselves and, you know, the thrall and, and mutations and stuff like that. Um, for anybody who's new in D2, Fogoth is an old ogre from D1 that we did a strike over and over and over and over again, which you get to revisit that strike when we go to the moon. And in that strike, you see this giant ogre chained up. Well, you'll find out in the lore that that used to be a tiny, tiny thrall. I think most ogres were, they were mutated and twisted. Yeah. Yep. They are just fed anger, anger and hatred. And I don't know, some sort of food that people dislike heavily. Vegemite. Vegemite. Don't tell Mylan that. <laughs> Mylan doesn't like Vegemite. Are you kidding me? I know very few Australians who like Vegemite. That's not. That's not what Minute Work told me. <laughs> oh 
Now I have a picture of Fogar with like a cane and I just want to run in and say, okay, boomer. But, yes. he's not a, but now he's not a boomer. But anyways, yeah, no. Um, um, the, uh, Blue, you, you mentioned that it was the opening to the door. Uh, that That's also how we did that night ball. We opened mm-hmm. that door and just stayed there. <laughs> well, now they put the shrieker in there. You can't stay in there anymore. Uh, yeah, well, you, can. Anymore. You, you, you have to get a little inventive, but I think I think we proved that you can. You just have to be really quick about destroying that shrieker. Oh, yeah. Because that thing will just, oh, man, that thing ripped you apart. Um, the note that I had here with Fogoth was this is where we start seeing really Eris um, strongly empathizing with the nightmares. Um you know, like the specific nightmares. Uh, she says, she calls out with Fogoth. Uh, uh, Fogoth is essence of fear. Um, and she says that she's, she, she says, I too know the pain of having to lead an existence you no longer want. The monster should have died and been forgotten. Instead, it had to live a life of unindentured servitude. Sometimes I feel the same. Though duty mm-hmm. is my oath and privilege, I can't help but feel trapped by the endless cycle of the fight. Will it all be worth it in the end? Will I ever know peace? You know, that fear of will will she ever actually get to the end of this whole thing? I, I think that you start seeing that more with, especially starting with this entry. I mean, I that's a question that a lot of Guardians are starting to ask. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, not just heirs. and I mean, not just guardians either, you know, that's, that's a whole thing too, of like the human, the human existential crisis that, you know, a lot of people will go through is like, you know, what, what is the purpose? What's the point? Why are we here to quote red versus blue? Um, you know, one of it's, mysteries. it's one of mm-hmm. life's greatest mysteries. No, no. I mean like, why are we here <laughs> in this box? Cannon? Oh, <laughs> What was all that stuff about God? <laughs> no, what? <laughs> God, still I what am I, I can quote that entire thing. So I still love prob- that. <laughs> I love that show. Uh, so, but yeah, that was that was my big thing with this particular entry. Um, is you know this is where you start seeing Eris actually really empathizing, really putting herself in, you know, the shoes of the various um, figures that keep popping up. But that's all I got on that one. Cool. Tanix. Tanix the mercenary who causes all sorts of issues back in D1 who is not nearly as bad in D2. <laughs> what about him? Alright. Uh, Tanix was a fallen mercenary that has no house. Kneels before no banner owes allegiance to no Kel. Uh, he had been killed by K6 in the Vanguard Dare, uh, making Andal Brask the new Hunter Vanguard. Uh, Tanix returned again somehow to kill Andal, uh, and that made Cade the new Vanguard. Uh, Tanix was then killed by the Guardian during the Wolf Rebellion. Uh, he had been hired by the House of Wolves. And then again, when Tanix was brought back with Siva by the Devil Splicers. Um, so Tanix's title, The Scarred, is a matter of debate. Uh, there's hypotheses that he might've been a former member of the house of scar, or it could be referred to his growing list of enhancements. Um, Tanix is represented as isolation in the nightmare hunt, uh, uh, which is fitting regarding his shifting loyalties. Um, Eris specifically mentions that, um, loyalty to the highest bidder is no loyalty at all. Tanix is such a sad story to me. I think he wants, I think he wants that. Like not, not he wants to be a sad story. I think these he doesn't I, I feel like he just doesn't care anymore. Like this is what he wants. He wants Probably. to be the ultimate killing machine. For right. the cool and, 
I mean, at this point, something to talk about just with all of these in general, all of these nightmares is they are not actually the former enemies. They are, I want to say figments of our imagination, but they can very well kill you. Um, how would you, how would you describe it? Blue, like they are pulled from our own psyche and recreated in a much more powerful way. But at the same time, they're not, they're not their original selves. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's exactly how I would describe it. Uh, it is because, and one of the things that gets called out, especially with Tanix, is the presentation of Tanix is the original presentation of Tanix. It's not the Sivified presentation. I know that right. was, that was actually Siva. really pulled out. Siva Tanix um, was that I played that strike recently. That model barely changed. <laughs> it's a Siva uh, cloud around Tanix and that. <laughs> Uh, but I know, I know that was kind of the thing. Uh, the, I mean, the thing is, is like, I think that again, ties into the whole thing with it being, you know, dream esque nightmares is it's all the psychological ghost of our past and ghost of, you know, the guardians past and everything. Um, it's a hallucination, you know, that's, but as with dreams, so loose, or, you know, your dreams, you know, there's the old adage, if you die in your dream, you die in real life, you know. Right. Uh, so. Um, I mean, it's the same thing within the, what is it, the freaking infinite forest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the oh, Matrix. Thank you. But at the same time, we are on our plane while this is all happening. Correct. This is a, a tra- well, and see, that's the fun it thing. Is a, when, it that's is when, a group, group nightmare. It is a group. We refer to those things as tulpas, and they are very scary. Um, the The thing with hallucinations is that, you know, just in the same capacity, the, the hallucination um, is actually explained to be a, a remnant of, you know, the artifact, the anomaly itself. Uh, we saw that within Revelations. Um, you know, it's not just visual, it's also auditory and all that. So... It's um, I, yeah. I mean, I would, I would, I would simplify it by calling it a hallucination, but it really is a projection of the psychological fear or psychological uh, memories, manifestation of, of our yeah, own mem- memories, mm-hmm. manifestation That's- of ours, or you know, the groups, the hive minds of humanity, if you will. That's not it's- really kind of how I. Well, it, it's similar to how I saw it, but I always imagine like the nightmare. Like there's a not really a being, but there is something quote unquote physical there that mm-hmm. which is what we shoot at. And like when you approach a nightmare, like during a nightmare hunt, like they have it's just like this red glowing spiky thing that's just kind of there. And when you approach it, then it gets formed. And I always imagine like that's like the pyramid or is like saying like this is something that we as guardians and and, uh, and others like this is something we don't like. And now it's been given form again. Yeah, that's why. That's why I kind of referred to it as like a equivalent of like a tulpa. Uh, a tulpa is a it's a concept that was I think twentieth century uh, from t- Tibet, um, but it's it's described as a concept in mysticism and the paranormal of be of a being or object which is created through spiritual or mental powers. Um, so a lot of times, like what you'll do, <laughs> there's there's an entire subreddit dedicated to tulpas, and it's amazing 
it's just amazing to read them um but but it's it's basically like the idea of um the group focusing on this one concept and like through the sheer will of that number of people the tulpa is born you know it's created uh well, isn't that how major horrors are created in general? I mean, it starts with some one person, mm-hmm. and then it completely... Wait, you want to talk about Slenderman? Oh, God bless <laughs> it. We talked about it last week. <sighs> uh, it's uh, Yeah, urban myths are a really easy, really easy way to kind of wrap your head around it. Uh, there was actually an episode of Supernatural that dealt with the Tulpa, Um and it's just it's it's interesting because like especially in today's age and war, uh, age you know with the internet being what it is uh you see a lot more of this like conceptual group hallucination type stuff um than you did prior to the internet because the the information didn't get shared so you don't have you know this quickly these urban myths popping up um but yeah no tulpa, tulpas are they are a very interesting tangent to go down yeah, they are. Okay, so talking about the tulpas for a little bit, you want to skip over the tulpas and go back to a different nightmare of ours, school loss? I, I really wanted to point out real quick with Tanex. Uh, Tanex is the essence of isolation, and that is the exact self-examination that we see from Eris within this card as well, was her kind of talking about the self-imposed exile or the, you know, the the penance for her mistakes kind of concept. Um, so I, I do, I did find that interesting. The the connection and the empathy that Eris has with Tanix is the essence that we collect from beating Tanix. But yes, with Skolas, uh, Skolas is the essence of pride. pride. Hubris. Which is funny, because you would think that would be gall, but... Well, gall, gall is hubris as well, but it's like a, a wrathful pride. Skolas is like Skolas is hubris in like its pure like he he didn't. He just thought he could do the Kell of he, Kells on his right, own without having himself, any right. sort of yeah. He called he, himself the Kell of Kells. Gall was gall was doing it out of like a sense of like not vengeance, but like of a prideful wrath skolas was doing this out of like i am the best and i don't need that because he basically you know when he went to get the vault of glass for example he he basically was just like no it's all about me and it's you know it's that whole sense but that means but that being said eris also empathizes with uh his sense of his dedication to his people um you know she says that we too shall adapt and become ruthless in hopes of staving off the darkness. Death itself will have to claim me to end my campaign. I do understand in some respects what these various, especially like the fallen and cabal mm-hmm. who are like standing up for their people in some respects. I understand where they're coming from. That is kind of the, I guess my own darker side of this whole thing. Well, and it's, co- I have doubt that is what it is. Mm-hmm. And and then like you know like that's the whole thing. That's her whole thing was his ambition. What was it? Uh, his ambition was nothing if not relentless. In certain regards, I almost respect his sense of duty to his people. 
he was ruthless in his quest to lead his followers to glory. But see that that's right there. That's the part that I kind of sense the pride. It it wasn't survival. It wasn't you know you know reclaiming their. The, it, it was it was all about glory. It was all about proving that he was the best. That they were the best. You know that that was that was the prideful thing. Um, now, regardless of if that was actually what, and that's the thing that tying back into what you guys were just, what we were just talking about, but these not actually being the characters, you know, regardless of if that was actually Skolas's intent, that is the message that his nightmare is being used to deliver to us. The same as with like Fogoth and all the others. So, okay. I'm going to wait till the very, very end to, to postulate this tiny piece as far as like the re the reasoning, because Eris asked about the reasoning for all of this too. But let's go over. Uh, oh, you were talking Mad about Dog Gaul. Do- oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you want to go over Gaul or Skolas? Either one. Uh, well, Skolas was first, so I'll start with Skolas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Skolas was the self-proclaimed Caliph Kels uh, during the Reef Wars, which was around the time of the Twilight Gap. Uh, Marasov had ki- killed the former Kel of the House of Wolves as they were trying to cross the asteroid belt. Um, after several years of infighting and against the reef, Skolas became their new Kel. He was, due to his ruthlessness, he was betrayed by barracks of House Judgment to the reef and was imprisoned and later given to the Nine. Uh, the Nine set him free and gave him a new catch. Uh, Skolas inspired the wolves, who were then led by Marasov as fallen tradition dictates, uh, to re- rebel against the queen and take back the traveler. Uh, he proclaimed himself the new Kel of Kells, uh, sought to recruit the other fallen houses. He was defeated by the guardians, sent back to the prison elders, and then was killed in the prison by the guardians in a very, very tough mission. Um, so Skolas is represented as pride, as we've talked about, and given his arrogance to claim the Kel of Kells, uh, which was a prophecy by the fallen house of rain, um, anyway, so Skolas to me is a bit of an anti-hero. His people fell to ruin after the whirlwind. And while he was arrogant, he did want them to reclaim their former glory, uh, with bloodshed. Uh, in the end, he was only a pawn among the other major players of the system. Uh, the Wolf Rebellion improved relations with, uh, the Vanguard and the Vestine dynasty. Uh, Eris Morn and Osiris were able to convince Marasov to help fight against orcs. Skolas then didn't really comprehend the politics above him. And I believe the lore book Dus um, has a um, uh, lore page in which the um, Skolas is lamenting that, like, like t- Marasov sees him as insignificant. And, he, and Skolas finally recognizes that he's just a pawn in other people's games. Which is both sad, but also I'm grateful he recognizes it finally, because, dude... He's really been the pawn for such a long time in so many different plots. Did he you just see thinks his head? he's. He has a really big head. He yeah, he's he easy to he, yeah. He's, he's just a narcissist who thinks he's in charge, but he's really not. All I remember from him is so many laps, so yeah. many <laughs> laps. Yep. For those for those who didn't have the joy of doing Prison of Elders, that was the defense was oh take another lap like just run circles around that entire it's what is it the uh, uh it's the area strike. you go into in the strike now yeah yeah the fallen the warden <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> oh, god 
no save points. <laughs> nope. Uh, oh, do you want pens, to talk about... I'm sorry. I yeah. only did it once. No, Damo, Damo, if you ever want to talk about PTSD, go talk to Damo about Skolas. He's the one Skolas that strings? Yeah, he was the one that we always had a joke. Uh Skolas owed him rent because Damo basically <laughs> lived he ran everybody like I, I swear everybody I know that got through was because of Damo. Dang. Like he he ran I don't think there was a time that we when that was the current event, like when there was a day we'd log on and he wasn't in the process of running multiple loads <sighs> of people through it. Yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> but let's I'm talk good. about gall. Talk okay. about talking about rage and wrath. <laughs> yeah. Um so Gaul was in a uh, was a albino runt uh exiled from Cabal society when he was a ch- um an infant. Uh he was discovered by the uh disgraced consul of the former Praetorate, uh which had been overthrown by Emperor Callus. Um under the consul, he became a successful gladiator in the arenas. Um Emperor Callus took him in and gave him command of the Red Legion. Gaul assembled several other conspirators, including Callus's daughter, to overthrow him and imprison Leviathan. Uh, Gaul reorganized Cabal society into what it is today, and which is very warmongering. Um, you know, the Cabal are, uh, soldiers are don't have citizenship, and the only way they can come home is if through victory. Uh, Gaul received a distress call from the Skybinners Legion, which had crashed their ship, the Dentalian Exodus Six. Uh, into Oryx's dread not to kill Oryx, <laughs> but were stopped by the Guardians in the Hive. Um, and so Gaul was asked to take care of business. Um, the Red Legion arrived two years later um, and caged the Traveler and stealing all, um, cutting off all Guardians from their light. Uh, he sought to claim the light for himself with help from the Speaker of the Traveler uh, to be a Cabal Guardian. When the Traveler did not bless him, um, the Consul killed the Speaker in uh, anger, Gaul then killed the consul and took the light for himself, and then we killed him right after. Yay! In a, a mission that is easy to break now, but hilarious to do so. <laughs> have you ever uh, broken that mission? I probably have. <laughs> so if you, know, are you talking do about when an- you kill him so fast that it doesn't yes. register. <laughs> So, yeah, you kill him so fast that he goes into model mode, which basically goes into T-pose, and he stands there, and he makes all the sounds, but he's just in that model, like, arms stretched out in that crucifix crucifix type shape, and everything happens, like, it's supposed to, but he looks more terrifying, because he's just standing there like a um, a scary Jesus that's gonna chase you down and hurt you. He died for our light. He's, he's <laughs> That's terrifying and hilarious. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So, uh, Gaul is represented at his rage, his nightmare hunt, and while he did seem to remain cool and level-headed throughout the Red War, and even in Callus's recollection of him um, through the Leviathan lore pieces, uh, he grew frustrated and angry towards the end, killing the Consul's vengeance for the Speaker of the traveler and telling him what to do. Um, which I find ironic because in the hit list that Callus sent out, um, he requested that the consul be killed by his own weapon. And in the end, Gaul did it. 
which is ironic because Gaul is his weapon. So I hear you. I hear you. Um, so Eris references also in this page, Eris references the Vault of Glass raid in the quote, I often wonder whether I was chosen or whether I made the choice in my journey through this life. Did fake fate make <laughs> me or did I make my own fate? Which, as a lot of people know, when you successfully kill all six oracles in um, the past or future during the Atheon fight, uh, you receive the message, Guardians make their own fate, and you gain the buff Times of Vengeance, in which you gain your super extraordinarily fast. I forgot about that. I don't know if I ever actually got that buff. My great team was not very good. No, right. that's what. That's how the mechanic works. Is that's uh, how you do tons of damage to Gaul. Is I'm um, not Gaul to Atheon. <laughs> oh God, that'd be terrifying. <laughs> uh, so when the relic holder is holding the relic, mm-hmm. Times Vengeance is keeping their super up so they can maintain the shield. And so then everybody pours in damage, and all the hunters pop celestial. Right. right, which is and then we just push them off the edge, and no, oh, you can do that. Yeah, they they put the baby bumpers up to prevent that. I remember. Oh, but that was only year three. You could do it. Come on. Yeah, that's true. Oh, they got mad at us when we did it to the Templar. <laughs> They're like, no, you can't do that anymore. Oh. Um, yeah, also don't throw rocket launchers in the bubble because it's a bubble. Or grenades. Or yeah, I, grenades. I've thrown, oh. I've thrown trip mines thinking I'm about to do hella damage. <laughs> that kills me right away. Oh, no. The shenanigans that happened in the vault year one. <laughs> just amazing like um my only call out for this one was that again eris empathizes with the sense of um that like kind of that anger of like not knowing and is she was she actually chosen or did she choose like who who is that um he also you know kind of calls out that she was relieved when gaul was defeated um because the the destroy the destruction of Gaul by the traveler uh, was kind of reaffirming. And I like that she spares no pity for Gaul. He was a wretched creature who got what he deserved. Um, also interesting to note is that a lot of the Red War campaign, how the cutscenes with Gaul is often him asking why the traveler won't choose him. Mm-hmm. And of course, like we know why, but like Gaul has doesn't fathom that. He, because he's a, a, a terrible person, he's an, he's an a-hole, <laughs> that um, the Traveler wouldn't choose him. Well, and but I think that all- goes back to the, the old explanation when, when Destiny 2 first was coming out, and I think it was Luke Smith kept saying, you know, in Gaul's story, he is the hero. Right, which yeah. is how you want any good villain to be portrayed. Right, right, you right, want right, them right, to be right, the right. hero of their own story. There was a Wisecrack video that came out when Destiny 2 launched about the Red War that was really interesting and how it's like philosophical things like trying to make your God see you, like to acknowledge your own existence. Hmm. And ultimately what the Traveler did is said, yeah, I see you, not anymore, and, you know, obliterates them. Yes. All right. So last three. You ready? Fanatic. Zydron. Zydron. Oh, oh, we got we skipped. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta get sorry. through the gate first. Yeah, right, <laughs> get through the gate, do the thing. <laughs> I was trying to skip it. You have to be in service to the gate lord. No. Um, <laughs> well, Zydron. strike. Oh my god, that's <laughs> strange. It was this the easiest strike thing. ever. It was. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> farmed it to death. I'm no. I don't this like. 
This was a story mission. It was. It wasn't a strike. That's oh, yeah, right. That's right. This was that's a story right. mission. It was. That's why it was oh so my easy. Gosh. <laughs> I just remember uh, that was that was when Icebreaker. That was one of the moments that it was like you're shining so strong, Icebreaker. Stand at the bottom Stand of the freaking hill. Back on the wall. <laughs> um. So Zydron was actually the original big bad of the vanilla campaign. Oh no, what? It wasn't. No, he no, was no, the, no. It was he halfway was through. Halfway that through quest. it, yes. he allowed us to get to the original big bad. Uh, he was the one yeah. that we got to have a the eye a, of the gate lord, uh, the snarky yeah. snark with Aldrin. One of the first snarky snarks with him was when we dumped his head at Aldrin's feet. Um, uh, Zydron is also the essence of servitude, which we kind of talked about in the intro episode about how Eris seems to project her sense of independence on a vex which is and not just was it just zydron was it just the gate lords or was it the whole vex i think it was all gate lords uh she didn't mention yeah, zydron yeah that's right she vex gate lords um there was a uh, another thing that that's not really related to the nightmare is that uh is the that quest the uh fruit of the garden well that, that's how it was reorganized in year two of Destiny one as so Zydron's head is taken to the Mars so taken to Mars side by the Guardian and Prince Aldrin gives its eye to the Guardian, sent to charge it on Mars to gain access to Black Garden and its heart. Uh so now there are three known entrances to the Black Garden in our uh the portal in the Valley of Kings on Mars, which is opened by the Guardian in that same quest. The entrance in Traxxas Station in Freehold, opened by Oryx during the Taken War, and underneath the lunar surface near the Scarlet Keep on the Moon, opened by the Vex and the Guardians. The portals on Mars are likely destroyed due to Red Legion bombardment during the Red War, which was given by idle dialogue from Cade during year one. Yeah, I got nothing on this one. They redid that mission. You remember that? Towards the end of D1? What, for Zydron? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was when we did the... Wasn't that House of Wolves that they did that in? They changed Maybe. it so it was uh, Prison Hunt? I don't remember. There was. A- I just remember it got a lot harder towards the end of D1. Um. Let's see here, fanatic. Unless Blue has something else to add to it. No, we already we already uh, talked about Zydron a bit. Yep. Fickrel. Uh, so Fickrel, the fanatic, was a former fallen archon who was gravely wounded by Guardians. Uh, also, of note, he's one of the few um, few uh, Elixni, at least former Elixni, to remember the the whirlwind. Um, Aldrin, already being influenced by Riven through a specter of his sister, treated Fickle's wounds and made a silent wish for his well-being. Uh, Riven heard the wish and granted it, converting Fickle into the first Scorn. Uh, Fickle pledged allegiance to Aldrin for his help, even calling him father. Mm-hmm. Aldrin and the fanatic dismantled the House of Kings by killing their Kel Krask. Uh, this allowed all fallen to unite into the House of Dusk under Rain's colors and symbol. Fickle and Aldrin were captured by Cade Six, along with the other um, Scorned Barons. And um, and imprisoned. Barracks freed everybody from the prison, and in subsequent riot, Cade Six was killed by Aldrin and the Scorn Barons. Even after being killed by the Guardian in Vengeance, he still shows up on the shore and is frequently killed by Guardian strike teams trying to get Mindbender's ambition. Uh, the fanatic is represented as insanity in the Nightmare Hunt, reflecting his depraved philosophies and desire to turn all fallen into Scorn. He also has some of the most disturbing dialogue. In that strike, I like that strike a lot. I like that strike. It he he's the one. Like as far as strike bosses go, he will call you out for being a dead thing. 
<laughs> Which is like, you know what? You second time that happens, like, because there was that. Uh, well, not us specifically. There was um, Legends Black Garden, where Punjari was called as a "You are a dead thing made by mm-hmm. a dead power in the shape of the dead. All you will ever do is kill." Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, that's really interesting that the um, fic role. We'll call out almost the exact thing verbatim. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the one thing I don't like about it is the fanatics immunity phases. That's the only thing I don't like. That's straight. That's otherwise it's All right. Crota. Crota we kind of talked about earlier as far as being the bad guy for the the Crota fire team from the beginning that we mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so Crota, uh, son of Oryx, was the crown prince of the Hive. Uh, at birth, he was already blessed with the title Eater of Hope by his father and became a powerful ascendant hive on his own. After a unfortunate mishap with a Vex invasion of Oryx, <laughs> Oryx commanded his son to return victorious or die forgotten, throwing him into the Vex game by his ankle. Crota uh, had I, command of I all... I still want the emote for that. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that'd be a good multiplayer emote. Crota <laughs> <laughs> um, had command of all hive in the solar system until death he slaughtered thousands of guardians during the great disaster including Wei Ning. however due to an accident with a powerful knight falling to his death crota was left weakened and hungry after the great disaster and retired to his throne after a failed attempt by ariana 3 and her fire team to kill crota eris Morn sent the guardian to dismantle an impending hive invasion of earth and crota's return killing him in his throne Crota is represented as despair in the nightmare hunt which represents the feelings he brings to it in his opponents by his very presence, and also when he goes into the safe room during the raid. <laughs> yeah, it's not, fair. Not funny. It's the most life. No, it's the closest to a heart attack I think I've got for a while. It's like you're, you're not, not supposed, supposed to, to be. Here. You're not supposed to be here. <laughs> it also is a nod to the Eater of Hope because despair is the destruction of hope. Oh yeah. And last but not least, regarding the pyramid, this one I'm interested to see what you guys oh, talk about on this one. We want to mention how Eris is feeling at this point. This is a big one. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, anger? No, no. She empathizes with the essence of despair. Uh, she says that, you know, the peace I felt learning of his demise at the hands, blah, blah, blah. The darkness will win. I can sense it already. I swore I would go on. I can no longer swear this. Always failing. Relieve me. Um, she, she's, she's lost her, her will to kind of live. Um, she did mention, I think it was with the fanatic. She had, she had started to lose her grip on being able to find the light. Um, and so this is kind of the culmination of this is where she is at her lowest. She is, you know, she has been, she's in the grips of despair. Um, I think if I remember correctly, this is the one that we got right before the creepy scene. And then regarding the pyramid is the one that we were talking about comes right after. Uh, So this is where her mind was when prior to, and then following we see regarding the pyramid. All right. Regarding the pyramid, our final card. Uh, So this is actually three letters. Uh, The one was uh, deleted and intended to Queen Marisov. The first letter um, is telling Mara how difficult her experience is. She mentions that while Eris does not want to betray her, uh, she wants to be free of her pain and is scared of doing so. Uh, the second one was delivered. She reasserts that because the uh, darkness thinks the guardians think guardians a 
because the darkness doesn't think Guardian's a threat, they can win. She will meet the queen in her court. Um, and then the third letter was to Ikora, thanking her for her confidence in her and, Va- and Vanguard's support. Blue. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, that's that's really kind of the thing. It's it's an update that is sent to both Mara and Ikora, kind of regarding the experience that she had with the pyramid. Um, I do, you know, from from the the point of view that we kind of talking about with Eris and her her headspace. Um, I like how you see where she starts because it's kind of like this raw, um, vulnerable thing and then she she pretties it up basically um and then sends it to mara and then her words to ikora you know we kind of already talked about that a little bit at the end of the intro session you know she says pain is something that never truly goes away it is something you live with hoping it makes you stronger as you learn to cope you cannot bury it you can't nor hide from it there is power in acknowledging it um and so that's where i do kind of see the whole kind of arc of this particular story kind of going you know she 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 admits that it is not over uh she says having faced so many of the demons that haunted me i finally feel a sense of closure on the horizon so she's not at she's not she hasn't gotten closure but she is by by you know opening that box that had been buried inside of her mind and actually letting the demons out and facing them she has been able to at least begin healing. Um, I, I think that was really, you know, what I really liked about this particular um, particular entry. And I want to say, I'm trying to remember which, uh, I cannot remember which particular ship it was. I'm going to look for it real quick. But there was uh, the ship that she had for the, the Shadow Keep was really, really well stated um let's let me see if i can find that real quick you guys can keep talking um i'm trying to think of the as far as like the overarching uh, emotional tie-ins you talked about the aspects of like the anger and pride and stuff like that you have a very uh, descent into the rings of hell if you go into like Mm -hmm. the dante's aspect going in here and her, it's it's very, um, you get Toland there too, because Toland moves to the moon and he's there taunting you the entire time uh, while you're on these patrols and out in the normal world. It is very much so a walk through Dante's Inferno in some respects, going through these different stages of Eris. She's kind of sort of growing through it, but at the same time, she's really, there's aspects where it's like she's succumbing to the aspects that are in there, the darkness that is in there. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about Eris ever since that scene. Like if we were just to get this book and deal with the lore of the book and not have that cut scene at all, I would not think twice about Eris's allegiance. Just know that she's still kind of broken and not entirely sure of what she's doing. Whereas now with this book and that cutscene in particular, it calls into question so much of her loyalty that it's it's a little terrifying. Right. And the, so the one that I was thinking of, <clears throat> thanks Black Flag, um, is refashion shapes. And the quote from Eris is, recovery is a spiral, not a circle. You may return to the same patterns, but you will break free. 
um, you know, Dino's saying too, you know, this is the most distressing entry because not a lot of get, not a lot gets to Eris, but she feels shame because she cracked that smile. And he goes on to say, it's one thing to fight a monster that wants to harm you. It's entirely different when the monster makes you feel good. And I would mm-hmm. add that the only thing that can also stip, like slip in there is because what happened, what, what I immediately think of when I read that was, yeah, because when you hunt monsters, you have to be careful not to become a monster. And if you become a monster and the monsters that you hunting are starting to recognize as recognize you as one of them, what does that mean? You know, what, what you have to be careful about that. And, and that's where, you know, she is, she's constantly reaffirming to people. Our purpose is good. Our purpose is good. Our purpose is good and true. You know, she admits that, you know, she's made mistakes. She's made past or her past and her mistakes and her trauma. And, you know, she's constantly talking about how she wants to, you know, use those to regain the light, to come out of the darkness. Um, I really, really like that part. Um, you know, she, I think, what is it, Tamara, she says, the darkness needs a reason to fear our light and I intend to prove it. Um that's a bit of that hubris coming in. It is. It is. But it's also because it's anger. It, because it's the the whole thing, because it's following right on the feels of, I detect, I detect no fear on the part of our nemesis. We aren't even a concern. We pose no threat. And then she says, the darkness needs a reason to fear our light, and I intend to prove it. I've been inside. I have nothing but beautiful and violent words from my report. So, I mean, it, it was it was the the whole thing of like you know she's she's acknowledging that the darkness did an extremely or what was it orchestrated its plan magnificently um and then in the sec sorry in the section that she deleted she said do not mistake my weakness for betrayal um you know and i think that's the shame that she has for what happened because she she faltered and she she allowed herself for a moment to feel you know what she said so free of care you know recklessly abandoning hope uh which is another kind of a nod to the dante's inferno mm-hmm. yeah eris is eris is in a bad place guys and the thing is is we left her on the moon by herself and nothing has changed I well her. i would i would argue that she's in a better place than she was at the start Right, because she doesn't have her team haunting her anymore. Well, and, at least if you finish cycle- those missions, right? And also because the process of, <clears throat> and that kind of goes back to my question that I asked originally. You know, who whose nightmares are we are we dealing with? Because if you look at the process of what those nightmares lead into through the essence quests and the the lantern of enchantment, um, we take those core you know, negative emotions that are in those nightmares and we purify them to make us more powerful. But if we're actually purifying them, if we're actually, you know, we are, we're healing them. That's, that's the whole thing is like this whole thing can be tied into a psychological process of healing. Right. It's, it is a healing, but at the same time, it's not, you're not bypassing or like getting rid of them per se. You're learning acceptance. It's that's the whole point of it. It's learning acceptance of what's happened. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 Eris's it's Eris forgiving herself at the end of it. That is, that's that's the grief, grief process is the final stage is always going to be 
acceptance. That is and right. And that's the whole point of Eris's nightmares. Each time we bring her an an artifact of her former fire team, she beats herself up the entire time we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And so our healing process for Eris isn't necessarily just a Eris is going through and we're bringing her these pieces and she's remembering them for their true selves. Eris is also very much so having to forgive herself for their deaths because she's blamed herself this entire time. That's the whole thing with Eris is that she's never forgiven herself for what happened on the moon, even though it wasn't her fault. It was Tolan's fault, but it wasn't her fault. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of was her fault, but kind of, but it was really Tolan not, and uh, Ariana's. It's Tolan not, and Ariana. I mean, it's, it's kind of insofar as like, you can argue that, you know, yeah, it's, it's a reduction, reduction theory there. But I mean, like, you know, the stages of grief, you know, the common, common five, I think it's five stages. It's like, you have the, the trauma, the traumatic event, then you have denial, anger, depression. Uh, usually it's like bargaining or uh, testing, depending on which model you're looking at. And then finally it's acceptance. Um, right. And sometimes they're like, in like, depending on the model that you're looking at, it's either five, seven, I think there's a nine stage, um, there's there's you know different things but it always kind of ends with that acceptance and that's that's what i love about this particular entry is that it's no it's not saying that they're done and that that's where she says you know she even calls that out too she's like the closure is on the horizon you know technically no one will ever get a hundred percent acceptance like trauma is called trauma because of what it does to a person um it will always be there. You're never going to get rid of the, even the mental scars that that happens, but you can come to terms and accept that it happened. You know, that's where the compartmentalization is so unhealthy is that's why denial doesn't really work. It's still there. Um, and you have to, you have to open that up and look at it, you know, however that is given within any, any kind of program, if you will, uh, to move on to to allow that to become a part of you and acknowledge that it is a part of you and then move on with that because your experiences they they shape you but they don't necessarily define you they 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 are the catalyst for process that is progress and that's what's important to remember and that's what i read here with eris is like you know she's like i will not be weighed down by the dark in my past you know, and she goes on to say, instead, I will use them and use them to lift me up into the light. That's that's where, you know, she's taking the, the mistakes that she's made, the trauma that she's experienced, her past, you know, her past life. And she's using those experiences to guide her into something better. And that's where it, try, it ties into the refashion shapes where she says it's not a circle. It's it's not. It's a spiral. And, you know, you will you will return. You fall back in even, the same ruts, but you always... Even if she makes a terrible mistake mid-season, but you know, whatever. Everyone makes mistakes. I know, and that's the point of the book, but it's interesting to dive into not only the purpose of the book as in regards to Eris, but also our own characters. Mm-hmm. Because our own characters are constantly having to not only relive each of these instances, just because because pure game mechanics, but also struggling with self-identity and our own failures with it. Mm-hmm. 
our own failure with Cade in particular. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think that's one of the interesting introductions that this provides for that. Right. I don't know. Is there any other book that really does it the same way? Like talking about like like the grief process or just like mm-hmm. a psychological way? Oh, just giving the Guardians a chance to process their own grief and process their own humanity through it. Uh, there was a Eververse ship from uh, last season called Saint's Invocation that was kind of acknowledging our own humanity. Where Saint Fourteen asked you, like, "Hey, whatever you need to do to de-stress and like take your mind off what's out there, do it." Like, it could be cleaning your vault, it could be doing whatever. Yeah, and then there I was think also that's the closest that you would get to something like that. Well, you also had uh, Cade's. Uh, I think what is it? Um, Cade's memoirs. Uh, where he's he kind of lets the veil fall and talks about you know what what he does uh how he sees the the world if you will where he's talking about like even if ace isn't real he still pretends he's real because it helps him become a better person and all that Mm -hmm. like he he actually goes you actually see the the psychological kind of wheels if you will of uh Cade's psyche and and it really it, it encourages you um encourages i thought it encouraged some self examination of the guardian as you were reading it um you also have the entire thing with uh, uh shin i mean throughout the entire arc that he kind of did was all about questioning what is right what is wrong what is light what is dark you know is light right or is it just light you know that whole kind of introduction of the the grays of the world was kind of another instance of self-examination. I think Uh, there was also the lore um, tab for the oxygen scout rifle. Yes. Oh my gosh. That was such a oxygen SR three. Yeah. Ikora and Zavala kind of question the purpose of the Vanguard. Now that Cade's dead and like all, well, if it's even needed anymore. Yeah. I think that's kind of the nice thing is that this is the is this the first time I we've talked about our own we've talked about Cades a little bit but Ayers has always been such a a closed off individual. Yes, as right. As far as her own emotional connection to us, it's the first time we've really been able to see inside her own emotional state. It's like mm-hmm. if we got to see inside Mara's head a little bit more. That's terrifying. That's but how, yes. Yeah, I'm right. Right. But like that's the same thing. Ayers is just a little bit more creepy and broken in her own way, even though Mara's probably way, way more uh, intense mm-hmm. and probably a lot darker in a lot of ways. But it's a way to see inside their their psyche and their emotional state going through all of this, and it's nice. Do we have any final thoughts um, on this? There book, was or? sorry, oh yeah, there was one more. I just remembered um, the Forsaken Prince, right? Aldrin's. Aldrin's. And Eva's journey a little bit, but I mean, Eva's always been more open with her quotes, but it was nice getting the collection of Eva's journey. But the Forsaken Prince definitely, um, and and, I mean, the Awoken of the Reef and the Dreaming City did a little bit to open up Mara's, like, as much as you can open up Mara's things, like her head. Uh, But the Forsaken Prince did a really good job of kind of showing Aldrin's... um, damage <laughs> i don't know if that's the yeah. right word for it but like his, i mean his he is damaged he is and like but like the causes of his 
of his like fascination with Mara and proving himself to her. Cool. Any final thoughts on the book before we close out? Um, I really, really, really like this one uh, because it calls out like you know the pro like we've been saying like the process of of going through grief and going through a, a in 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 so far its ways depression. Um, I don't know. I I kind of you know with the pieces that she presented, I kind of connected a lot with Harris on her struggles for this particular one. In so much as you know, you can since we don't have guardian powers in in reality. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, it is one, nice. One thing I I kept thinking about is like how this is kind of relating to uh, our the story of Shadowkeep as a year of content rather than just the Shadowkeep expansion and season of the undying is that how we're like, it's kind of like, I feel like year three of destiny two has been about like, like one part is the gathering strength, but also like reaffirming who we are in terms of our enemies. And Mm -hmm. cause like we have the nightmares on the moon, which ask us the question, um, how do we feel in a sense? And then we get, um, and then we get, of course, revelations with the pyramid and the black garden. And then like we have season of dawn, which has us get an old, a hero back and has us like, we're gathering these powerful people. And like, now we're getting Rasputin and we're, um, and we're slowly like, kind of actualizing ourselves in the, like before this, our second collapse comes like, like we're about, we're working on forming our final argument against the darkness. Yeah, I I can see that. Our final argument, though, I think is wholly dependent on do we understand what the darkness is at this point? And I think this book gives us a better insight, as at least through Eris's eyes, on what she thinks the darkness is doing. And it gives us an insight into how the darkness is going to, quote unquote, attack us. It's going to attack from within. Because, you know. Which I also find interesting for a first-person shooter. Right? A lot more deep than the typical, there's a bunch of uh, enemies in hell that you must go and defeat as a warrior that goes through hell. Like, doom. Like, I was just doom eternal. Heavy metal in the background. Yes. Or not even the background, just right there. <laughs> Surrounding it. <laughs> you guys ready for shoutouts? I think so. Cool. Neil, what, what shout-outs do you have for the advanced, advanced episode? Uh, um, my shout-outs are... I want to shout-out to my clan, uh, Paracausal Activity. Um, I want to shout-out to my girlfriend for letting listening to me talk lore for the past three <laughs> hours. She's been, in, uh, she's been watching this episode and, and enabling my addiction. And then there I also there you go. want an ironic... Shout out to the, this quarantine for making me level up for trial. <laughs> nice. Cool. My shout out goes to my teammates, my fire teammates who are going into trials with me for having patience because I have never gone to the lighthouse and I really want it. And I may make some really stupid, stupid mistakes trying to get there. So, yeah. Shout out to all the fire teams who have never gone into trials and never gone to the lighthouse, but really want to try this time. Feeling like it's going to be a little bit better. Keep doing it. 
I'll see you soon. I'll wreck your face and then you can quit. No, I'm kidding. No, just don't don't give up. It's a learning process. Like I am better at 6v6. I am learning than 3v3. And it's a totally different landscape in a trial situation versus a normal crucible situation. So give yourself time to relax and breathe and take each loss as a learning opportunity and move move forward. You'll eventually get there. As will I. As will I. Yeah, I am... I am well aware of my lacking currently in trials and it's frustrating and I want to be there now, but I'm not there yet. Green, so, no sniping. I actually am going to be putting on snipers more often because I need to figure out how to do that because that is apparently a thing rather than bows. <laughs> because yeah, bows work great in sixes because bows allow you to team shot better. Mm-hmm. But you need a sniper in trials to take their head off because you only get one shot is what I'm you learning. You revoker and you get as many shots as you miss. Well, yeah, but like meaning that you only get that one shot before you get sniped in the face. Like there's not a whole lot of leeway unless you are super, super speedy. Anyway, <laughs> yes, that is my shout out. Crucible shenanigans. Crucible shenanigans. Mm hmm. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you guys sticking with us and, you know, the live chat. Thank you so much for for coming out. Um, As always, thank you for your time. And until next time, remember, with wisdom we conquer, stand strong, stand tall, and keep exploring. With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusedfirechat. Links to all our episode archives can be found at www.thelorenetwork.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments and or questions for the team concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.